like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 127 for our scripture reading this morning. We'll take a little pause from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to finish that up in a couple weeks here in chapter 7. Not finish the book, but finish up chapter 7. Wonderful passage in the priesthood of Christ. Um, but today I want to focus here on families. Psalm 127. It's only five little verses, so I'm going to read them all here this morning. <clears throat> You'll notice the heading, it's a, it's a song of degrees for Solomon, or a song of, of ascents from Solomon. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more what that means we get into our message here. Here's the word of the Lord this morning. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. God's given us an ancient psalm here for guidance in our families this morning, and I ask that it'll use it as uh, we explain it and apply it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, it has always been your design that this world be built up of families. Lord, I thank you for your goodness to us. You have provided many wonderful families, but I also understand that not every family, not everybody's family experience has been ideal. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are the ultimate father. You're the ultimate nourisher of our souls. I thank you, Lord, that our backgrounds also do not have to determine our future. I thank you that with the power of Christ and his strength that uh, there is uh, there is nothing that is uh, that that limits us to walk spiritually. Thank you that you've given us everything that the Bible says pertains to life and godliness in your Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit of God who lives within. Thank you for the work of Jesus who makes wholesome families possible who takes lives that have um, been inculcated with the philosophies of the world system and imparts the truth of God's word and the creator's design through the word of God. I ask this morning that you would bless our service today. You'd give us a renewed vigor. Uh, you'd give us a, uh, a renewed... Um, uh, Love for uh, what you hold most most precious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that is a tremendous privilege to God's people is that regardless of your family background, you have a good father. And you've been ushered into relationship by the work of Jesus Christ with God who is called Father. Father. Who Jesus says... Is not just my father. Jesus says, our father. And there's a song that we're going to sing in our hymn book 304 here. That reminds us 
And if you're in Christ, you've been placed into God's family. You've been adopted, brought into God's very family. You are a child of the King. God is Father. And there's nothing better than that. And there are no orphans in God's family. And those in God's family are never truly alone. And so as we sing, I'm adopted, and then we'll follow that up with number 426, Abba, Father. I want you to think about those truths about God as our Father. 304, let's stand and sing. I adopted. Let's go ahead and greet one another as a family of God.
prayers. Abba Father. One of the benefits of having a father is being able to talk to your father. This father doesn't turn you away. This father, because of the work of Jesus Christ in your behalf, welcomes you with open arms. And it's because of Jesus we can go to our father and find grace to help at the throne of grace. 426, Abba Father. Singing prayerfully this morning.
Psalm 127 is not an unknown psalm, and not one that you probably haven't heard in relation to raising children and families here. The Word of God says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Let me give you a little background on this psalm here. It's a, it's a song, and the, your, the heading in your Bible probably says a song of degrees for Solomon. Solomon indeed was the writer of this psalm, and if you know anything about Solomon in the Bible, he was one of the premier builders in the history of civilization. Solomon was a builder. He built an incredible palace for himself. He built an unrivaled temple, Solomon's temple, that the Babylonians around 700 or so B.C. uh, came and absolutely destroyed later on. But it was a temple that was unparalleled. In fact, um, when the, the temple was rebuilt later on by the Israelites, many of the older people wept because it paled in comparison to the beauty of the temple that Solomon built for the worship of God in Jerusalem. Solomon was a builder. He understood something about building. There are things that you can see if you tour Israel today that aren't even mentioned in Scripture that have Solomon's fingerprints and can be traced back, I don't mean literal fingerprints, but can be traced back to Solomon's building projects as he really revived and built up the empire of Israel. So this is from Solomon. And if there's anyone who should know something about the family, it would be Solomon here. And if there's something that we shouldn't, that, that we shouldn't take from Solomon, it's probably how to raise a family when you read Solomon's history. If only he would have taken his own advice here. If only he would have listened to the Lord here. But you also notice that the heading says a song of degrees. A song of degrees. Because what you have here in this section of the book of Psalms is a section of songs. These are songs that would be sung in Hebrew by the Israelites, by the Jews, as they would be uh, headed to their pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the various feasts. Um, Israel was commanded by God to go to Jerusalem, to travel and pilgrimage to Jerusalem for specific feasts. One of those feasts would be the what we call the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you read the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, you get a little story of Jesus as a boy with his family headed on to a pilgrimage. And that's where they leave him behind. They forget about him. He's left behind in Jerusalem and they find him talking to some of the religious uh, minds of the day and asking questions. And they're asking him questions as a, as a young boy. And that's where he says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? His father, earthly father, Joseph, his stepfather, so to speak, was a carpenter. and He was in a temple talking about the word of God. So he was referring to his heavenly father. But that would have been a time where they would have taken one of these pilgrimages. And along the way, as family would have traveled together, and your aunts and uncles would have traveled together with you in caravans, uh, you would have sung these psalms, and there are a variety of them. Every one of them that you see, probably sprawled across your page, it says a song of degrees. That's the idea of songs that you would see on your, sing on your way to your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. A song of ascents, because Jerusalem was, a, was, a, was, a, was on a, a, a higher uh, altitude, 
uh, higher, much higher than sea level. And so you, even if you're coming from the south or you're coming from the north or the east or the west, you would be ascending up to Jerusalem because of it so high. And so, perhaps as these families would be traveling together, they needed to be reminded by God's holy word what God intended for the family. And so that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. As we, as we read through this chapter here a few minutes ago, you might notice that there's different themes. And you might wonder in your head, how in the world do these align together? Building a house, guarding a city, um, getting up early. It says it's vain for you to rise up early. I like that verse there. Um, arrows in the hand of a mighty man, quivers full. What in the world? How do these themes connect? And I want you to imagine, if you were an Israelite, traveling with your family caravan to Jerusalem, and you are at a point where you can see in the distance Solomon's magnificent temple. I mean, there were things that were plated in gold around Solomon's temple. Imagine that Middle Eastern sun as it would would hit that gold, how it would sparkle. And you would be headed to one of the most impressive architectural feats in history, Solomon's Temple. And you would come to a point where you see Solomon's Temple in the distance. Your jaw would would probably drop in awe. In fact, the Bible says that there were leaders from all over the world, Ethiopia, etc., who came to Solomon just just to marvel at what he had built and done. But what the Word of God wants us to do, and wanted the Israelites to do, is for their jaws to drop in awe of God for how He builds the family. To stand in awe of God, who is the unseen builder. And this text, Psalm 127, verses 1-5, through tells us that God is the architect of life. And what is unique about this text is that the verses seem to be addressed primarily to the fathers in the families. In verses 1 through 3, you're going to notice a warning. You're going to notice a warning. You're going to notice a word that's repeated three times. Excuse me, in verses 1 and 2, not verses 1 through 3. Uh, A word that's repeated three times, and it's the word in vain. In vain. And in the Hebrew language... That word in in vain is actually at the beginning of the sentence. And in Hebrew language, when you have a word at the beginning of the sentence, that's a word probably that needs to be emphasized. It's it's there for more emphasis. So it would read like this. In vain, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. They labor that build it. In vain, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh. In vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. So there's a warning here. Vanity is, is there's an emptiness. Um, uh, it's, 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 It's like being on the treadmill, you know? For those of you who run on the treadmill, God bless you. All right, but and I know sometimes you got to do it in the winter here in Maine, but but I just can't do it. Number one, I don't have a treadmill. And number two, staring at the same thing, going nowhere on a treadmill, just so difficult for me. So difficult uh, to me. That's vain. That's empty. That's just emptiness. 
Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's like it's like when you eat cotton candy, you know? It's so sweet, and it's a huge amount of cotton candy. You eat it, and then it's gone, and you're feeling sick because you have so much sugar. It's like, what did that just do to me? Vanity. It's something that doesn't deliver. It's a spinning of your wheels, so to speak. And God says that there is a warning here that anything that is not ultimately done by the Lord, relied upon the Lord's power and strength, is in vain. It's empty. Meaning that anything of lasting value is done by God through you. Anything of lasting value is done by God. And in the context here is uh, specifically the home. The home. You might say, except the Lord build the house. What house could he be talking about? Could Solomon have been talking about the house of God, the temple? He could have. Could he have been talking about the, the, the house of Solomon, uh, the palace? He could be talking about the house of Solomon in, in the sense of his dynasty, his descendants. He could have. But I think in the context of this chapter, he's talking about the home. The home. Except the Lord built the home. They labor in vain that build it. Do you understand that everything done to build the home, independent of God and His Word, will have no lasting value. None. No lasting value. Any attempt to build your home apart from God, independent of God and His strength and His power, has no lasting value. In John 15.5, Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. You can do nothing without Christ. Nothing of any spiritual lasting value. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So here you have, you can do nothing without Christ. And here you have, you can do all he asks you to do with Christ. Which tells us the truth of this verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You want to build your home, and I don't mean the, 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 the timbers and the, and, the, and the physical construction, I'm talking about a family. You want to do that independent of God, you're going to be spinning your wheels. You want there to be a lasting legacy of a God-centered home. You need to understand you can't do it without Christ. And you need to understand you can do it with Christ. You build, notice there's two builders in this verse, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So there's two builders here. There's, a, there's the, the, the overseer, God, who strengthens, directs, and there is the one who is working under the foreman. He's working, he, God is working in you and through you. What are some things uh, that would mark a home that is built in God's power? There's a few things someone suggested here uh, that all begin with the letter C. And the first would be conversions. Conversions. By conversions, I don't mean changing to a different religion. What I mean is what Jesus said in John chapter 3. You must be born again. You must be reborn into God's family. You must see yourself as a sinner. And Jesus Christ as sacrifices your only hope into eternity. And there is nothing you can do to add to His work. There is nothing you can do to take away from His work. And Jesus Christ is your only hope. Folks, if you want a home to be a lasting home... Parents, you need to know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. Parents need to be reborn so that they can lead their children to Christ to be reborn. 
There's another C under this idea of what we need to build our homes around. It's the C of commitment. Commitment. Ongoing commitment to being a disciple of Christ. Utmost allegiance to pass on to your children. Fathers as heads of the home. Moms as supporting partners here. Commitment to be a disciple of Christ. And turn your home into a discipleship factory. Third C would be commandments. Commandments. The Word of God. God has spoken. God sets the agenda. God sets the pace. God sets the values. God sets the direction of the home from the unchanging commands of the Word. And if you're going to build your home into a home that lasts and has lasting significance, it needs to be built on the Word of God. Commandments of God. The next C is conversation. What is a home without conversation? Well, the Bible directs our conversation. Conversation meaning speech that builds up. Training our, our, our kids to, to, to say things that build people, that don't tear them apart, but build up, construct a godly home. Fathers, your words have tremendous significance and lasting influence in your children. And I don't, don't mean when you've got to sit your child down in a chair and have formal conversations. I mean along the way as well, in the car rides, on the fishing trips, keeping God at the center. The next thing would be compassion. What kind of a home is it without kindness? Without patience? Home is like the laboratory for life, isn't it? Love. Grace. Home can be heaven or home can be hell. A home where people aren't keeping score of the wrongs done against them. Starting with mom and dad. A home where bitterness is not the identifying mark, but forgiveness is because no home is perfect. The next C is cleanness, cleanliness, purity. You are being bombarded with all kinds of entertainment, aren't you? Purity in your entertainment. Purity in your TV. Netflix, streaming, your computer, your devices, your books, your thoughts. Purity, thinking through what Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 8. Think on these things. And he lists the filters we need to think through. A purity. And the seventh C we could say is the church. Church. A home that is not connected to a local church. That is, does not have accountability as members of a local Bible-believing, gospel-centered church family that reinforces the home. Will not have a lasting value. So folks, I want you to understand that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. But if you're going to build it, you need to build it with these things in mind. What else? Look what else what he says there in the next phrase. Except the Lord keep or guard the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Do you understand what God wants to develop? Because we live in a fallen world where there is sin, God also wants to defend. What God develops, He defends. And do you know that you cannot defend your home from the onslaughts of the enemy of God? Without God's power? And do you understand that God does desire to defend your home from the enemy's onslaughts? Except the Lord guard the city, the watchman waketh but in vain? 
What God develops, God defends. First John tells us that there are three enemies of God, and they are the world system, the flesh, our desires that dwell in us that are wrong, and the slanderer, Satan, the devil, the evil one. And do you know we cannot escape any of their attacks on us? But we can fight and defend in God's strength. Verse 2 tells us that we do not let the Lord be our spare tire. We let Him be our destination and our engine. And if you build your life and you build your home on things that don't last, you are buying high and you are selling low. The more you work without the Lord at the center, the more empty, the more useless, the more pointless your work is. In fact, that's what he's saying in verse 2. He's not saying it's, there's no point to getting up early and, get, and going to bed late and working really hard. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is if God is not at the center, you are wasting your time. If you are only laboring for the American dream or to support a certain lifestyle, you're missing the point and purpose of life. Without God at the center, the more empty, the more useless, the more pointless your labor and work is. And I could have four or five dads stand and give testimony to them here this morning. So many Christians have fallen into the lie that they are here on earth to provide their children a better lifestyle. The physical possessions that they didn't have as a kid. The beautiful, wonderful house that they didn't have as a kid. Whatever it might be. The, the opportunities. And I'm not saying those things are bad in and of themselves. But if that is what you are building your life on, you are spinning your wheels and you will have nothing of lasting value. Men who give their lives ultimately to a career instead of their families, and, and, and 20 years later, their children won't visit them, then we wonder why. But folks, if God is centered, and we have our families prioritized around the priorities God has set, you know what the Bible says in verse 2? It says, God gives His beloved sleep. You may not have the lifestyle that the Joneses do. But you know what you do have? Sleep, peace, contentment, satisfaction. You can sleep well with a clear conscience, knowing you have ordered your life around what God has ordered. I, I, I would wish I wish Ross Hodson, Connie Champion's father, was well enough to be able to share to us, share with us how how the, the happiest days of his family's life were when they left everything. He was doing well when the computer world was really starting to take off. He probably would have would have had an amazing career. God worked in his heart, and he felt called to go to the Amazon and minister to Indians in the Amazon. And I heard him say that those are the happiest days of his life in a grass hut. I'm telling you, you need to live in a grass hut in order to live after God-centered life here. Understand, that's what God called him to do. He slept well. He slept well. 
But notice the tone of the of the verse of the of the, of the uh, chapter changes because in verse three he says, "Lo!" It's the it's the word "behold." It's the word "look." And when you have that in the Bible, it's like the verily, verily is Jesus saying, "Truly." I mean, uh, open your eyes and see this truth is what Solomon is telling us. He says, "Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward." I always want to say "fruit of the loom." <laughs> The fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies at the gate. There are three pictures, three pictures in this that you could probably pick up. And if you take notes in your Bible, you might want to put a little box around them. The first is um, <coughs> uh, reward. Reward. Or excuse me, the first is heritage. Heritage. It's the idea of gift. A gift. It's a word that means, that has the idea of something directly from God to you. The next picture is the, is the word reward. 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 And it's the idea of something that is pleasurable. Something that is cherished. And the third, of course, is the arrow. Is the arrow. From verse 3, low children are in heritage or a gift of the Lord. We need to understand that, folks, God's children that He has given you are a gift. They are a gift. Notice He doesn't say some children are a gift. All children are a gift from God. It also tells us about the sovereignty of God here. Not every family is able to have children, are they? And that doesn't mean they're less of a family. What it means is God has not chosen to give them children. What's wonderful, though, is the ability to adopt, isn't it? I believe if we're going to say we're part of the pro-life movement, then we need to be a people who support adoption and not just against abortion. But children are a gift. Parents, those children that God has given you have come directly from God. No, no, they didn't float down in the store. You know, we know all that. But you can trace them directly back to God. And folks, if they are a gift, you will give them back someday. Not to the hospital, but to the Lord. Because ultimately, you are just their stewards. You are just the person responsible to raise them up for the glory of God. And as I mentioned before, he says, children are a gift. All children are a gift. And there are no surprises with God. And there is no child that is not a gift, no matter how handicapped they are. All children are a gift from God. Which tells me something. As you read further on in the verse, he says, And the fruit of the womb is his reward. The fruit of the womb is his 
pleasure, His cherishing. That children are to be looked upon not as a burden, not as another mouth to feed, but something to be cherished. And these ideas trickle down for us throughout the through the world system with comments like these, well-meaning people, but really haven't thought about what their comments are saying. Boy, your hands are full, right? Like, your life is more difficult than it should be. And I don't know, not everybody's thinking that when they say these kinds of things. Or when somebody has twins, there's double trouble, right? No, double blessing. They're a reward. Children are not a burden, but a blessing. And your nation and your government wants you to know they're a burden. And God's word says they're a blessing. To be treasured. Not worshipped, as we can tend to do. Moms, dads, your children are not who you worship. Your grandchildren are not who you worship. They are gifts, and whenever we direct our hearts, worship toward a gift instead of God, bad things can happen. But they are something something to cherish and nourish and treasure so that we worship God, who is the great giver. Notice what else he says. Verse 4, the third picture. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Of the youth. What's funny about this passage, that verse there, is he's not saying youthful children are the arrows in the hands of a mighty man. But he's saying if you have children while while you're young, children in your youth, those children can be arrows in the hands of a mighty man. It's actually an encouragement to have children when you're young and not wait till you have a certain income level, right? Or not wait till you're, you're at a certain age. It's encouraging to have children while you're young here so that you enjoy them longer and, and they'll be able to, uh, to care for you later as well. But he says, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of you. An arrow. Why do we have arrows? Why would they have arrows? They would have arrows because they needed to defend themselves. Because they were enemies. Um, You have arrows uh, to be used. Arrows don't sit nice above your mantle and a nice little holder. Arrows are to be used. And the idea of an arrow is that you will be confronted with enemies. And children are an extension of you in warfare to carry out the fight you were involved in. I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But a couple observations about arrows. I had Steve Luce bring in one of his arrows here. Probably his would be made out of uh, aluminum now. Is, with, is that with the graphite? What is it? What is it? Carbon. Out of carbon, alright? So they had to take carbon and form an arrow. Arrows have to be shaped. And that day they would have made them out of, out of wood. And they would have taken a long time to shape and dry those arrows. Arrows have to be shaped. Your children, here's not a popular word, but this is the truth. Your children need to be indoctrinated with the Word of God. I had somebody comment that 
Who do we think we are indoctrinating our children with the things that we think are true here from the Word of God? And really what they were saying is, I don't want you to indoctrinate them. I want to indoctrinate them. Do you understand that your children will be indoctrinated one way or the other? The devil's agenda is to indoctrinate your children, just as God's agenda is for you to indoctrinate your children with the truth of God's word. Folks, someone will disciple your children. Someone will disciple them and what they think their your child's purpose is to be. And we know the, 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 as, as the um, scripture talks about the world system, the flesh and the devil, someone, someone who is not in line with the word of God will tease out of them the, their lust of their wicked hearts that the heart is driven by. Someone is indoctrinating them. Will it be you standing on the word of God? And folks, as you teach and train along the way, it doesn't matter what so-and-so is doing. It doesn't matter what their best friend is doing. It matters what you guys as a family are doing from the Word of God. You do what the Lord says is right. So arrows need to be shaped. But arrows need more than to be shaped. They need to be put on the bowstring, don't they? And when you put them on the bowstring and you draw them back, you're not just going like this. You're aiming them at a target, aren't you? You're aiming them. You're aiming processes, talking to them about the wrong thinking of the world's values and cultures. The reality of spiritual warfare. But what do you point them at? I think you can take verses like Matthew 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you can remind them that God is pointing you, son, daughter, through me as your parents, to be a weapon against the evil one. God does not give us arrows just to shoot wherever we want, but a specific purpose. And folks, we need to arm them with the gospel. And by that I don't mean they need to know the plan of salvation. They do need to know the plan of salvation. But they need the gospel operative in their hearts. And on their lips. We need to be parents who are gospel-centered. Arming them with the gospel. If you're wondering what that means, then join us in our parenting class here. Uh, here in Ju- July as we begin that. Arming them with the gospel. Pointing them at the enemy. Sometimes, parents, we can easily make the mistake of being well-meaning, but miss the point of why God's given us parents, and hide our children from the enemy. Now, I understand that not every child needs to see everything about the enemy out there. The wickedness out there. Okay? But we don't need to sugarcoat it, either. We don't need to pretend like it's not there. Let's talk about what's wrong. Let's talk about the glory of God. Let's talk about how Jesus is better. Let's talk about how Jesus gives lasting joy rather than the temporary happiness of sin. And folks, they will either be arrows that you shoot at the enemy or they will shoot at you. The third thing about an arrow is that we not only shape them or aim them, point if we never release them? Did it be released? 
more and more as they get older, we give them more and more responsibility. We let out more and more line. They're gods. And they are to be sent out with a mission. And God's purpose for you as a parent is to instill in them that sense of God's purpose that they live under and live for. Release them. And they are sent out with a mission to score a direct hit for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. Whether that is their, their career as a plumber, whether that is their career as, a, as an electrician, whether that is their career as a restaurant manager, whatever it may be. Whether that's what God has chosen for them in mission work. They're sent out with a mission to score a direct hit for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. They represent Jesus Christ as his ambassador in the kingdom of God. And so that means that we are to be families and parents and children who are living for a purpose. Who have an intentionality about us. Kids, parents, God has specifically designated you to be in a time where we cannot let the baton drop. It must be passed. And parents, grandparents, we need to be motivated by the glory of God and not fear. We must take risks for the gospel. Too long has the church been motivated by fear instead of the glory of God. And the purpose of you as a parent and you as a kid has got to be bigger than sports. Sure, do sports, but it's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be bigger than fine arts. It's got to be bigger than a wonderful education. It's got to be bigger than the popularity of your child in a school. It's got to be bigger than video games. It's got to be bigger than TV entertainment. It's got to be bigger than their physical looks. God's purpose for you needs to be intentional and strategic. So you send them out. You launch them at the enemy to build God's household and destroy the gates of hell. Which leads us to the final verse, verse 5. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. That's the word that means blessed. Happy, blessed. They shall not be ashamed. Who? The man that has his quiver full of these arrows. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. The gate in the city was a gathering place where people were coming and going, entering and leaving, conducting affairs of the community. It was where also you would have accusations made, where the, where the, um, the legal leaders of the city would sit. And what he is saying here, and this is kind of related to having children and youth here, is that your children ought to be your greatest advocates that when their father or mother's name are spoken of poorly, your children will be able to speak up against the reproach of their parents' name because they have been taught, they have observed, they have been trained to advance the cause of their eternal father and their earthly father is sold out to the cause of the heavenly father. In other words, they have a cause worth living and dying for. And they walk with you shoulder to shoulder, eyes straight ahead, focused on the glory of Christ, united in purpose. I think the application today is that there is great reward for intentional, God-glorifying parenting.
parents conceive and the results in their lifetime with their grown children. So the challenge here from Psalm 127 is ready and aim and fire. Parents, if you would go ahead and uh, get your children if you haven't yet here. Because God calls us for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the cause of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.